my goodness me. Here it is, predictable, well choreographed, perfectly rehearsed. Hello and welcome to this extra special episode of Grassroots, the leading podcast for the women's game as we know and love it. In this cup final of an episode, we welcome two teams who had the honour of playing in the Papa John's Plate Final at Twickenham. Winners Workins and Zebra Finches give us the inside track of what it was like walking onto the hallowed turf, how they prepared and what it's meant to them. We then speak to runners-up Avonmouth on how the game went, what it has done to their squad and the effect of such an event on the community rugby club down in Avonmouth. We also discuss promotion, hair length and Molly comes up with an interesting way of how to choose a team. 22 months out with a triple knee operation. She runs in, tries for fun. I'm Goose. I'm Lou. I'm Molly. I'm Joyce. And I'm Jodie. And I'm Matt. This is Grassroots. So how was the game on Sunday? It sounded like it was a big fight, but the inevitable result. Mm. Go on, Jade. I'm just happy I've not gone the, the usual thing of bragging all over social media, obviously, not posting videos and doing what they usually do. That's a nice, rare thing to see. Sarcasm, that is, Batty. <laughs> no, I think it was a very good game. Our team faced them quite hard. We matched them as best we could. And obviously, I'm going to say because we lost, they just had some luck on their side and got through. At the end of the day, they were the better team on the day. It's hard to say, but yeah. It kind of felt at the start of the game that we were just lambs to the slaughter, to be honest. It was like the inevitable was going to happen and we were just sacrificing ourselves for a loss, really. I would have been surprised Mm -hmm. if we won. It would have been great if we did, but very surprised. Yeah, your speech at the end is very diplomatic. I thought, oh, that's that's not what usually goes on in the WhatsApp chat group chat. So I was absolutely dreading this game because I was like, we've got half a team, no one wants to play, blah, blah, blah. We took a vote on Wednesday and we were like, we could be like everyone else in the league and give them the walkover. We're not going to learn anything from it. We're just going to give them the satisfaction of getting a win without having to try for it. And I think what Jodie said is accurate. Made them bloody work for it. We made them work for it. The tackling that went in, the amount of effort, the amount of people on their team that were crying or like on the floor because they'd been hit so hard. Legally, obviously. Yeah. Um, Which will bring us on to our next discussion. Yeah, no, but there was a couple of actual tears and, you know, they Mm, are a a good squad. And I I said this in my speech, very good squads, a lot of talented players. Don't agree with the uh, social media kind of slating of, you know, some of our players getting tackled aggressively, saying that we said that we didn't want to get tackled aggressively. But I can't be arsed with all that shit because if you load the veer up, there'd be absolutely loads of videos of them getting smashed. So a good hit in rugby is something to celebrate. No matter whether you put it in or you take it, you should be helping up the person that you've hit and going, good tackle, mate. So I think that bit's a little bit disappointing. You know, be glamorous in your victory rather than putting it on social media. But I think grassroots rugby, you know, a team... Mm that are top of our league, very quick players, very talented players, a lot of like budding stars and also ex-premiership players. However, when they go up into the league above, they will then feel how we probably feel now. And we've been there before where we've had, you know, wingers and people running tries in for fun and you don't learn anything as a team we learn far more about our team and our players and what we're capable of on Sunday than Sale did and I will say that to any team if you're dicking someone 70-0 you ain't learning anything 
No, this is true. And this was the big problem we had a few years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. We've been there. We've, we, yeah. Yeah. And it's to wind me up. You come off the pitch and players be like, oh my God, that was amazing. We're so good. We're the best team in the league. We are top of the league and all this. I was like, yeah, but you were shit. Like you missed tackles. Yeah. You couldn't deal with restarts. Your set piece was rubbish. There was loads of like handling errors. You were just saved because you got a couple of really, really good players uh, and the opposition in the main have been pretty average. So yeah, well, We'll see. I mean, look, my view is always that you know, teams level out and find their find where they're supposed to be playing. So what I suspect is is that they'll go up and you know probably settle in that league quite nicely. But what I think will probably happen is they won't like it when they play some of the very very physical teams. The you know the Bishop Aucklands and the who else is up up in that Novo league? There's Castrians. a couple of yeah, Novo Castrians and Barnsley. Yeah, I mean they are solid girls, aren't they in that team? So all of the the flair and the like cutesy rugby stuff, you know, it might run you in a few tries from deep, but when you're in February and it's muddy and cold and you've got a pack that's well drilled and heavy running at you, you know, life gets a bit more difficult. Yeah. And bringing it back to kind of the pods and the grassroots and stuff, I think, like I've said on Sunday, Sale are a phenomenal team and they've built themselves from nothing and had to work through the leagues like we did and like other teams have done around the country. For me, the disappointing thing about our league this season has been Preston and Waterloo dropping out and not having those extra fixtures. Um, Not sure I would have fit them in with all the weather cancellations, but those two teams dropping out. And the other bit for me is Sheffield, and I'm sure there's other leagues like this, Sheffield have played every single fixture and filled a team with maybe not necessarily their their strongest team all the time. And they've going to finish second, yet Sale have won all of their games and a lot of them from walkovers where they've been given the five points for people not fielding teams against them. And they're going to go up and Sheffield are going to stay in our league. And I think, for me, there has to be something like a playoff or something like there used to be, or maybe um, no two teams go up. No, there's no playoff. So two teams go up. Like I think it yeah. would be unfair to say Sheffield, you're not as good as Sale. Sale, you're not as good as Sheffield because they've both played each other and they've won one each and then they've not yeah. lost a game all season. So to say, Sale, you're going up because you've had all the walkovers is, is, is great for Sale because they deserve it. But for Sheffield, that's quite a sour pill to swallow because they've played all their fixtures and not had any walkovers but they're not going to go up. Yeah, but you not think it'll give them like a bit more drive? Because we've been in that position seasons before where we've just missed the top spot a couple of seasons in a row and you get sick to death and you push and you push. Sorry, so Sheffield came down from the league above. So at that time, they weren't good enough to be in that league and now they're too good to be in this league. There's kind of a weird middle ground as well, like not middle ground, but too good for one, not so good for the other. And it happened to Sefton as well. Was it Sefton? Yeah, Sefton last year. They went up, came straight back down. Sheffield came down. They should have gone straight back up with how well they've done. But it's just going to egg them on, I think, this year, knowing they've just missed out on going back up. They'll drive and they'll be so much better for it next year than what they would have been if they've just managed it up into the league. Yeah, you could be right. I just think it's a, the season's gone by. We used to have a playoff to get up. Um, that's how obviously we got into champs too. So I just I'm not saying that I don't want sales go because they absolutely deserve it. I just think it's hard for Sheffield when they've played all their games and people have refused to play sale because you know 
they haven't got a team. And then it just kind of reflects badly on the league that we've got this many walkovers and the fact we've had two teams completely drop out. It just doesn't seem right for grassroots. Are you aware of what the uh, movements are for the next season? What's happening? Who's How many's coming up? How many's going down? Who's going up? Who's coming down? My assumption will be that they'll have to do a bit of a rejig with the fact that obviously Preston and Waterloo dropped out of our league. I would expect we would get... Have they folded completely? Yeah, they've dropped out of the league, so they have to start from the bottom. Right, okay. Yeah, exactly. Awful for them. I'd expect two teams to come up and I'd expect two to come down. But that would be the premise that two go up. And I, and I believe that the right decision would be for Sheffield and Sale to both go up. Well, I suspect, to be honest with you, I suspect that will probably happen because normally at the end of the season, there's a bit of a rejig and various coaches get in touch with the league and the league look at results. And there's no incentive for any for any team to play in a league that's wrong for them. To be fair to Sheffield, like you said, Molly, they've played pretty much all their games. They've been really competitive and actually a reasonably nice team who's had as visitors. I think where Sale are concerned is that they have made it very clear from the outset that they don't want to be in this league and want to be in the league above and want to be pushing for, well, they you know they want to be a team that's being a feeder for Sale Sharks. They've never shied away from that and they've wanted to be that centre of excellence in the local area and suck in all of the, the talented players from the local clubs from under-18s upwards. And that's fine. They can go on that journey and do their thing. It's actually the better off out of this league, I guess. But the question's always got to be, can a team compete in a higher level? And Sheffield can. You know, they're not going to win the league above. There's a reason why they came down, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, for me, I think, you know, the playoffs were good because I think what the playoffs do is they give you that, like, reality check. You know, are you good enough to go up or not? Because when we went up and we had to play Bishop Auckland, they weren't good enough. And the reason they weren't good enough because their strength and depth wasn't there. Yeah. They lost to us, not because they weren't as good as us, but because they'd had a lot of injuries towards the end of the season, which impacted their ability to compete. Their argument would be, well, that wasn't fair. We had you know loads of injured players, right? But to play at any league level, you've got to have a squad su- you know, able to sustain a full season and weather the inevitable injuries. And if you haven't got that strength and depth, you're going to send inexperienced players out and they're going to get hurt, which we've seen happen a number of times for, players, for teams like Waterloo, which is one of the reasons they went down, or rather they dropped out of the league. We've seen it with teams like uh, Winnington Park, Northwich. That, what's that other team that's local? That Broughton Park, oh, yeah. Broughton Park, Divas, yeah, definitely. So got enough. They got like maybe a core of ten players that are able to sort of play competitively at the right level, and then the rest are, are very new. It only takes a couple of injuries, and that team can't compete. So what we've managed to do successfully is weather last year, where we didn't really have the strength and depth to cope with a bad run of injuries and, and results. Whereas this year. We've managed to bring players on a bit so that whilst we haven't won as many games as we'd like, we've been able to consolidate our league position, get players up to the level they need to get up to, to some degree. And whilst we're still a long way off from winning the league and going up again, we can actually hold our own. Yeah, and it is about that depth. And, you know, and I I joke about this, obviously, you know, James Haskell talks about the bin juice. You're not saying that people aren't good enough to play, but when you've got especially two teams you're trying to balance aren't you because you don't want to put people in teams where they're not they're not comfortable or not safe to play but equally you don't want to be struggling on your first team fixture but able to field a really good second team because people don't want to play up and I guess my question is say say you'll go up into champs what happens if they then eventually in two years time win what's the driving force for that because they can't go up 
because it's ring fenced for any team that they're not trying to though are they well no but what would be what would be the point because for me i'd be like well i win the league i'm going up like what's the and that's not a dig at them that's just a question for any champs one team what's the driving force yeah the big challenge they're going to have that they haven't i don't think thought through is they go up into champs one right they're very much setting themselves up as a feeder club to sell sharks. Logically, some of their better players, particularly the younger ones, are going to end up in the sales squad and therefore not able to play for, for sale 1861. So then they're going to have to bring in new players into the squad to replace those players. And those new players are going to come in with minimal experience of senior rugby and they're going to go straight into a much more competitive league. Because where they are currently, I mean, looking at the team sheets, there's a few players that I've known from the circuit and obviously the, we, we've lost a couple of players to them and so on you look at those players and you think they are not championship one players they're decent at championship two in the well I say decent they, they can hold their own let's say but they probably haven't got much of a ceiling beyond where they're currently playing so they go up into the, into the better league the better players from that score go up into the premiership and then they're left with players that maybe aren't quite good enough at that level and a load of newbies that they're going to have to bring in with no experience of senior rugby. So it could be a total car crash if they're not careful. Valid. I think that's one of the things for women's rugby that's that's holding us back is the massive gap. Like, there's such a gap between leagues. And like looking at the yeah. picture... On, there's, on, there's also a gap between teams in leagues, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, exactly. That. There's, there's so much... And it's about money, squad depth, the area that they cover... How many teams are in that area? So Manchester, for example, have got Didsbury, Broughton Park, Didsbury Top. Like they've got all of those teams in, yes, a fairly big area and compared to crew. But there's what's the pull? And you know, Sandbach is starting a girls team, a women's team, which I think is great. Do I think it's the right decision? Not necessarily. And I think crew will will struggle and will lose players over there. And I think sometimes we need to concentrate on getting money and depth into certain clubs rather than it being that kind of competition between clubs and I think with Sale especially they've got that pull haven't they they've got the facilities they've got the link to the premiership club they've got a fairly kind of substantial coaching team they've got a lot of girls that have played higher level that are playing there but like you said Matt what happens when they go what happens when they move up yeah because it's a huge step up it's a huge step up to come from uni rugby unless you're playing at one of the top uh, unis or you've been playing a little bit over your life, whatever, it's a massive step up to go even into Championship 2. When we were playing in National Challenge 1 and 2, like it, in the main, there was one or two fixtures that I'd be a little bit concerned about putting a newbie in. But in the main, you could probably chuck somebody on. You People like you would look after them to some degree. And it, you know they're not going to get run over by genuine athletes. Whereas if you go up into Championship, two, championship 1, there's some serious players in there that have, would have been in premiership teams had they maybe been a bit fitter, say, or maybe a bit younger or whatever the the, the measure is, you know. So you're going to have players that are going to be pulled into those squads to bolster them, as is exactly what happens with Waterloo. Mm. They lost a lot of their top players to, to sell Sharks, which, as you would expect. And they were pulling new, brand new players into the into the squad that have never played before and then throwing them straight onto the pitch against Nova Castrians, which is, like, not fun. <laughs> so, pod question then to make it a bit lighthearted, what is the pull to a rugby club? Say you had three rugby clubs, for women this is, and Matt, you can obviously pretend you've got a vagina, but 
There's three rugby clubs and they are all equidistant. Mangina. Yeah, Mangina. All equidistant apart from your house. What kind of, what is the pull to a rugby club? So if you obviously go down to a training session, what is the thing that makes a woman join a rugby club? I'm here tonight with the Avonmouth gang who have just come back from an exciting trip to Twickenham. Tell me all about it, ladies. It was amazing. We got the opportunity to play a Cumbria team called um, Workington Zebra Finches, they're called, um, in the final of this local plate competition. And yeah, it was incredible that we got the chance to go to Twickenham with it. It was originally at Twickenham and then they tried to say, oh no, it's at Six Ways now um, at Worcester, but we managed to fight back and get it to Twickenham. So it was amazing. We had about four, we had four coach loads of of us going down loads of supporters loads more than them which was really nice <laughs> and loads of cars going down as well it was an amazing day awesome you know why they tried to move it to six ways don't you it's because the workington team complained because if they go south of birmingham then they, <laughs> their skin can't cope with the sun intensity that's what it is <laughs> twickenham in in early in late april early may that could be a skin cancer right there so they'll get nosebleeds if they go too far too far south of, uh, of manchester but no we know working some finches well actually there's actually although you know look, let's get out of the way early you lost bad times but yeah we'll come on to that in a second but always good to get to a final um, there's actually a nice story about Workington. I don't know if you had a chance to kind of talk to them after the game, but um, going back to when I first got into coaching, which would have been, what, eight years ago, I think it was, when we set up the team up here in Crew and Nantwich. Um, we went into a league, which then would have been, yeah, National Challenge 2, it must have been. And Workington, they won't mind me saying this, they were the whipping team. They were the team <laughs> that you went to play when you need to increase your points difference, give yourself half a chance of winning the league. Um, you know, if, if you came away with less than 80 points, there was serious beastings <laughs> in training on the Tuesday. Uh, it was one of those games. And, you know, whilst they were great fun and you've actually very hospitable hosts, lovely club up there in, in Workington. It's, you know, it's a tough old area and, you know, it's pretty miserable in the winter, but lovely, lovely welcome in their club and so on. They're just a lovely bunch of girls. And the thing that really impressed me back then was they didn't care that they were losing 80 nil. They just loved playing rugby. They loved building a community. They loved, you know, going to training. They were getting players into the game from all different sources. You know, so they had a real mismatch of people. Some were clearly sports people, some less so. And they built a team and, you know, went out and got dicked every week. And to see them kind of progressing, getting through the leagues, rebranding, giving themselves a bit of an identity, actually, you know, they come on leaps and bounds and seem to get into a final and winning is, is, is great, you know, even though, you know, you guys were, were obviously the, the ones on the wrong side of the result. But tell me about the whole experience. When you got to Twickenham, how did it go? You know, was it literally like you walked in, given a briefing, told, don't touch this, don't touch that, don't try and steal grass, no robbing the posts? Was it one of those? <laughs> it wasn't as bad as that, but it was very structured. They had um, some kind of sevens tournament on before ours. So it's quite a rigid plan of when we could go into the building. It was 90 minutes before. And um, we had to warm up on like a strip of grass outside the stadium a quite a small area um you had an hour in the changing rooms and five minutes before you went out you had another five minutes in the changing rooms to have your shots and things so it, it was quite strict so we had a little section for photos as well um on and off the pitch which was really cool 
the RFU yeah, approved you, photos. It was a special RFU approved photographer. Yes, yes, we did. Thirty quid for the privilege was it? Was it one of those? Okay, well, no, it was free. But the poor man had three hundred Avon mouth, <laughs> pretty drunken supporters stood behind him, jeering the whole time he was trying to get this shot of us. God bless him. And um, singing Avon mouth songs as well. <laughs> he, he I mean, incredible very... for us. It was a tear to the eye. But that poor photographer, you could just tell he just wanted to say, "Piss off." <laughs> love it so going back to the the actual game then so you know i've always wanted to know what this is like right you get changed in the change room. let's face it you know i've been into, into the change rooms at swickenham they're pretty cool with all the little booths and the little and all the names of the previous players that have sat there and all that sort of stuff it's all nice but in the day they're just changing rooms but the thought of actually walking out onto the pitch and even though there's you know minimal crowd compared to you know a full match day that feeling of going onto the hallowed turf what, what was that like? Incredible. You could hear the roar of the changing rooms before we, like in the changing rooms, we could hear the roar of the crowds before we went out. The noise just echoed round, so it just made everyone feel a bit more nervous to go out, I wow. think. But it was just incredible. We could hear every single voice. I know 300 in a what, 85,000 capacity stadium doesn't sound like a lot. Put 300 even mouse supporters out there and I tell you, they'll give them a run for their money. They were absolutely incredible. The noise, like the girls are saying, just ricocheted around the whole stadium. It was just, and the Workington crowd, they didn't have as many, but my God, they made up for it. It was just incredible. It makes you think how loud it must be when it's full because you could really hear the voices when you were playing. I was thinking, how must they hear each other talk? The only time I've ever played under any mean- in front of any meaningful crowd was I was fortunate to tour South Africa a long time ago. And one of the oh, games wow. we played there, yeah, an amazing experience. One of the games we played there was in this uh, local town stadium in a place called Grahamstown. And uh, similar to you, we were in the changing rooms underneath the state, underneath one of the stands, you know, getting ready and, and having a bit of a, a warm up and so on. And there was incredible noise coming from people stamping their feet on the floor above. Oh, uh, yeah. Then we ran out, and there must have been, well, I think it's conservative to say, you know, a thousand people watching. And I remember actually ducking as I came out because <laughs> the, the noise felt like it was right on top of my head, you know. Yeah. Um, and on the pitch itself, and it was on the floodlights. It was a, just a sensory overload. It was really hard to actually like hear each other and concentrate on the game because of the noise. You think that was like a thousand people times that by 80, you know, exactly. 80,000 or whatever. That's um quite a number, isn't Immense. it? Immense. Absolutely. It was the goosebumps that like set over just standing on the sideline. It was all a bit, all so many, it felt like a lot more people were there than there actually was. Yeah. And how did you keep your nerve? I mean, I remember, you know, we got to a final, what, three, four years ago and we lost quite, I wouldn't say heavily, but we were well beaten by a better team on, on the day, really. And I remember afterwards being pretty bereft, like feeling like it was, a, you know, the end of the world sort of thing. And then, but what I found was, is when we went back to the final the following year after another good cut run, the experience of kind of being there and the, the routine of the day and the, the ceremony and so on made the whole experience less intimidating. And, and I don't, whilst I think we, we won because we were better, I do think that the occasion and the atmosphere does play a part in in how you sort of perform as a team. How, how did you feel it affected you going out onto the pitch? I didn't feel as nervous as I expected to, although we were warming up on a patch of grass, <laughs> which wasn't ideal. Yeah, we got a semi-decent warm-up in. We had a really, really good 
team talk from our um, chairman who came down that really like got us going. Um, so yeah, I, I wasn't feeling too bad, but definitely when I ran out there and I think suddenly the crowd went quiet mm. and then it was kickoff, I had to kind of take a few breaths, I think, definitely. Sadly, I got injured after about 10 minutes, so I had to go off. So I can't tell you about the rest of the game because I was on the sideline, um, pretty gutted. Oh and someone landed on my knee and um, it's not great, to be honest. Oh so. Yeah, and Jen's um, previously injured her knee a few weeks back. So it's only, uh, and well, Hayley did her ankle yesterday as well. So <laughs> not doing very well. Chocolate joints, all of us. Oh dear. Oh dear, that's not good, is it? Those, those sorts of occasions, it's, it's hard not to go out too hard too soon, isn't it? I think when you, you know, first whistle goes, your adrenaline's pumping. You do one of two things in my experience. You either go out hell for leather and it either comes off or it doesn't. Or you go into yourself a little bit, or certain players go into themselves a little bit and start to get a little bit of stage fright. How did the group manage the experience? Do you know, there was a few things, I think, on the build-up to the day. So first of all, in the club, you could feel it. You could feel the tension in the air. Even Lucy, our coach, was quiet as a mouse. And anybody that knows Lucy Souch, no, she isn't quiet as a mouse. <laughs> so you could feel it. So we did a lot of work on the coach saying, look, come on, girls, let's try and control emotions. Let's not let them control us. It's just a game of rugby. Just remember, it's a game of rugby. Take it all in, be present, but try to not let it ruin the day. And then we had a bit of time early on before we were allowed inside, but we went out onto the pitch. And when we realised it was just a pitch, I think it kind of calmed quite a few of us down didn't take the edge off it because it's an extraordinary place to be but it just put a bit of reality into the situation that it is just grass and we could be here or we could be in Avonmouth we're just playing a game of rugby and we went out there and I wouldn't say we went hell for leather but there were a lot of lots of offloads that were silly and we were just panicking a little bit so about five minutes in I think it was um, a scrum or an injury or someone had gone down and we just had a little five minutes saying right come on now nerves are out the way Let's calm it down, slow it down and play our game. And then we both teams, to be honest, after that first five minutes, found the rhythm. So thankfully, we didn't run out too rapidly and kill ourselves straight away. We managed to, to reel it in quite quickly and start playing our own game. By the looks of it, a pretty close score. I'm sure you don't want to go down the, the route of diagnostics right now after the weekend and so on. But you know, if you were to look back, you know, was it a, a game you could should have won or was it you came close against a better team? Oh, it's a real tough one. It really is because the introduction you just gave to the team is exactly what we found on the day. They are a cracking bunch of women and they were yeah, so they were humble in their victory. And I just wouldn't want to take anything away from them because of that. They were so respectful. They didn't even slightly rub it in our faces. And I think we would have done that unintentionally. We'd have been out there screaming, shouting, rioting like mad. And they didn't. They did the exact opposite. So I, I want to give them the win. If if you're asking me honestly, were there things we could have done better? I think there were. I think a few of us individually looked back and thought, oh, yeah, I could have tweaked this. I could have tweaked that. And the fact it was so close, can we walk away and, said, and say, really, there was a chance of us winning it? No, because it, it was that close. But I just want to be respectful. And yeah, they won at the end of the day. And fair is fair. And they got the try and we didn't. So well done to Workington. Indeed, well done. But my God, it they, hurts. Um, eh? oh my. Yeah, I was just going to say about their lovely um, shield they gave us afterwards. Um, it was very, very kind. I thought that was a nice show of like sportsmanship. We did our kind of captain speeches in the 
very posh like kind of restaurant area afterwards much nicer than where we have our aftermatch chips but um yeah and then they gave us this shield and it was I think it was to either go to them or us, whoever kind of lost, basically. So that was a really lovely gift from them. I think it was done so no one went home empty-handed, which was really lovely, like mm. considering as well at full time, we we were drawing, it was a tie. So I think that just made the loss a little bit easier, which was a really nice touch from their side of things. So that's something I've really reflected on as well. I, I am massively a sore loser normally and I am uber competitive. It, it kind of runs in the family. But when we had our medals on and we're at the side of the pitch and even coming second place, seeing the crowd roar, there was another win for us that happened on Monday. We brought a community together that really, after having a really good chat with our chairman, um, Grant, I've had nothing to look forward to. It's, it's been a really hard couple of years. COVID has hit our local community so, so hard. And just to get them all in a stadium and have our little team run out on the pitch and put Ava mouth on that hello turf and just seeing how emotional they all were was incredible. But not only that, we've been fighting for years to be respected as a team, to be taken seriously. And I think that day we won it. I think that day we finally got people on board that we are a team that are to be reckoned with and we can play bloody rugby. So although we didn't win the trophy, I think as cheesy as it sounds, we won the hearts of Avonmouth and now we've stamped our mark on that club. And if anything else, I'm happy with that. I'm happy to walk away with that. Well, love that. Absolutely love that. And I think, do you know what? I absolutely empathise with, with that feeling because that's kind of how I felt once, you know, the, the mist of disappointment had disappeared and, and also the exhaustion. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but you, you know, I, I remember being exhausted afterwards. I put so much time and effort <laughs> and thought into it and all of the, the, you know, the worry and all of the trying to make it special for all the players and all the rest of it and planning what I was going to say to the team before kickoff and all this sort of stuff. I remember sitting in, uh, I'm not ashamed to admit this, I remember sitting in the clubhouse after the game on my own and just cried because I was that tired. Like, no joke. Yeah. Like, I was just oh, spent. You know, it was so important to me in my head to come over the trophy and to, to not. I must admit, I felt like it was the end of the world. But then it didn't take long for, for that feeling to go away and that feeling of pride to come back, you know. And, and actually, it totally galvanised our squad. It gave us that focal point for the following season. It made people realise that they wanted to do something special together. Yeah. By contrast, the f- when we did win the following year, the team collapsed into a heap about three <laughs> weeks later. Um, in fact, it's, it's, it's our end of the season on Saturday, which is like the, the, what's it, the four-year anniversary of Armageddon at Crew and Rugby Club. So. You know, uh, wins don't always result in good things any more than losses result in bad things. So, yeah, hopefully you can enjoy that bounce as well. Definitely. We've also got our end of season dinner on Saturday, so we'll definitely be celebrating. (laughs) On the pitch itself, playing then, are you conscious of being at Twickenham when you're playing or do you just go into that bubble of watching the ball, trying to tackle, trying to stone your feet, trying to not vomit behind the post, that kind of thing? Yeah, it it very quickly just turned into a game of rugby. I think the only real greatness of being at Twickenham is you can hear people. I rarely hear coaches when I'm on the pitch outside at local ground. I don't hear anything unless I'm being screamed at. So it was really good to hear more instructions than what you normally would. And I could hear the team shouting me more than what I normally could. But I think the biggest difference to me, I don't know about you, Kath, is just having a flat, 
even pit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was just beautiful. Normally it's like like it's uphill that way, try and kick off that way yeah, first, and then we've got downhill say. in the second half or we like the to wind's go downhill blowing. on the second half. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It was it, it was incredible to play on and the atmosphere was great, but the actual rugby was just your normal game of rugby. And they brought <laughs> it. They absolutely brought it. Love it. Okay, I played cricket on Saturday for my local team against, um, who are we playing against now? Somewhere up in the depths of nastiness around Liverpool. And um, the square leg umpire had a shovel on him. I was like, what the hell's this guy got a shovel on him, umpiring? It was because every time one of the fielders found some dog shit, <laughs> he'd go over and pick it up and it's like I've played on rugby pitches like that where we've actually had to do a sweep before kickoff. yeah um, yeah and where we found bottle caps in the pitch and all kinds we have massive battles with that in previous seasons to the point where our club had to turn around to be like I'm sorry we can't have dogs down on our facilities anymore so we've totally sympathised with that <laughs> yeah you get the old fox on the pitch at Twickenham, I think, but they're not <laughs> shot within seconds. I, I didn't <laughs> yeah. Electrocuted. We had a few people after that was trying to sneak past the security and like get one foot on the, the grass <laughs> just to say they've got on there, get a quick photo, and then they um, got dragged by security back behind. Love it. <laughs> you got to, it's got to be coordinated, haven't you? All 300 of you yeah, said, yeah, right, we're exactly. getting on the pitch for a selfie and you just rush the security guards. You'd be in yeah. good shape, I think. But yeah, they're, they're pretty wise to these tactics, these guys. Yeah, 100%. Never seen it before. They were very, very on it. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Well, look, congratulations for getting that far. And, you know, I'm so jealous of the experience. I'd quite happily go and get hammered 100 nil to play at Twickenham. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would quite happily do that. It's, you know, it's something that you dream of doing. And to have that opportunity, hopefully it's going to be that big step forward in your journey as a team. Absolutely. Looking back, we've got like three 18-year-olds. Is it three? Neve. How old is Neve? Neve's only about 18, isn't she? Chloe's 18. I don't know how old Anna, Hannah and Leah are. We've got so many young players and they've played at Twickenham already in their first season for the ladies. So the future is bloody bright, I tell you. Yeah, Chloe are are ten. She's um she's eighteen years old, and I didn't realise she was eighteen until she posted some photos afterwards about how amazing an opportunity it was for you know being so young. And I was like, wow, she's eighteen. That's crazy. She did amazingly. Oh yeah, love it. What an experience. Well, again, this is hopefully one of those focal points for them that make keep them in the game because you know we see eighteen, nineteen as that age where people make a decision one way or the other, don't they? And we've we've exactly. certainly seen a few that have have quit after playing probably a little bit too much at junior level and then going up to senior level and not not enjoying it how they thought they would. But there's others that have gone quite the other way around. So hopefully that'll help you guys. But um, yeah, anyway, plans are coming along for August now, aren't they? How are you getting on at your end? Yeah, all right. It took a bit of a pause. I'm not going to lie this last three weeks. <laughs> Poor Jen is a, our team queen trying to do all the arrangements in the background for everything to keep us in line. And Twickenham has pretty much taken over your life, hasn't it, Jen? So it's we're just trying now. Yeah. So we're just now trying to get back into it. But um I've seen some of the things you've posted in our group. So yeah, I'll start getting onto things now. So for listeners, Avonmouth is uh, gonna be the, the site of the Grassroots Festival in August, August the nineteenth. And we're all busy at work. Oh, well, I have been busy at work. You guys have been trying to win trophies um, <laughs> <laughs> trying to pull that all together and I'm pleased to say it's looking looking good so we have now got confirmed as a speaker the very excellent Rocky Clark who Woo-hoo! is one of the 
well, the, the most capped England player of all time, of course, men's and women's. So that'll be a fascinating discussion. Uh, we've also got Stella Mills coming down. Those of you that follow rugby on social media will, will definitely have seen Stella's work. She's very active on posting and she's now, you know, involved in some of the commentating as well on, on various different platforms. So she's, she's going to be an interesting person to, to talk to. She's also a, a, an ex-player herself. We've got Gemma, the pop life coming down. We've got Vienna Brunt refereeing and also Halbro. As you, as you know, Halbro are our sponsor. Not only are they putting together an amazing competition for us at the moment, which you sh- may have seen online, they're also going to provide some goodies for the, for the day. So they're going to put together some merch. Uh, they're going to provide some visuals and they're also going to bring one of their ambassadors down. So we don't know who that's going to be just yet. Um, so watch your space, but we're pretty excited about the potential of who it could be. They've got some really star people on their books. Um, so we're very excited. Um, we also bumped into Victoria Rush at the weekend. So um, there's an outside chance she'll be able to come as well, but uh, we'll see wow, how that goes. Wow, that'd be goes. amazing. Be we're amazing. so excited. It, it is. It's looking good, isn't it? So I'm also pleased to say, although you may not be pleased to hear this, that the grassroots nomads team, the famous grassroots oh, God, nomads team. Oh, God, here we go. Go on, who have you got? Who have you uh, got? Never mind. <laughs> we don't declare the team until here the week we before, go. partly because it changes 15 times between now and when you <laughs> Oh, goodness me. Yeah, but we've got one or two. No, nobody that you should be Don't be pulling out of. Sarah Hunter on us now. Don't be doing that. <laughs> No, no, no. It's very much grassroots. All the players that are in the grassroots no messing. And one of the stipulations is they've got to play grassroots rugby. Good. It's really, really important to us that they represent all levels of grassroots rugby. Um, and, and, and that most important, an appropriate level of grassroots rugby. And they've also got to be legends as well as people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, of course. But we've got, yeah, but we've got a handful that have confirmed from last year's team who were brilliant people that are in the local area. So that's really exciting for us. Oh, um, fantastic. So, yeah, it sounded really good, didn't it? It is. It's sounding together. excellent. Yeah. Together. So all we've got hope for is like two weeks worth of rain, two weeks beforehand, and then yeah. a nice yeah. sunny day. So nice the ground's and not soft like ground. Yeah, that's the only right. thing with summer rugby, isn't it? Is get, yeah. Your legs get absolutely I'm, ruined. They I'm do, sure definitely. the British weather will provide it for us. Yeah. It will. <laughs> I'm confident that in that part of Bristol area, it's going to be pretty wet. <laughs> So we're confident it'll, it'll be fine. So, so yeah, so watch your space. So obviously we're going to um, let you know a bit more of the, the kind of arrangements and details as we go through the, the process of organising. Dursley are, are up for it as well, aren't they? And, and you guys. So, yeah, we should be a, a good a good festival. So um, Fiona Brunt is insisting on taking conversions again, but we're not going to let her this time. She can, <laughs> she can take it for me. I'm rubbish. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, I've done how that all started last year, but for some reason that the, the um, refs and the random supporters started coming on and kicking conversions, which was fine, except that the games were quite competitive and people actually wanted to win. So yeah, <laughs> a little bit disruptive. Um, and I tried to coerce Gemma Prop Life into playing for the Nomads, but she's having none of it and wants to be the hydration specialist again, oh, which <laughs> last year involved running on the pitch with two massive great jugs of beer and cider. Um, which is just what you want when you're playing rugby in a 20 degree heat. But She did look like she was doing a cracking job. I can remember seeing them in all her reels. She did look She's like relentless. she took it very seriously. It, it was like, what's that film with Adam Sandler in it? Waterboy. Water <laughs> it was like that. Whether you wanted drinking some drink or not, she gave it to you. She was <laughs> there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that'll be exciting. So yeah, watch your space. But if you're in the local area, come down. If you're not, make the trip. And uh, yeah, we can't wait to, to get it all kick, kicked off in August. Fantastic. We can't so what's the either. plans for the end of the season then? Have you got a big do plan? Have you got your, your posh frocks out or are you going in uh, in your rugby kit? 
Nay, so it's more of a posh rock type of night. It's really mm. interesting, actually, is you get to see people's posh side that you don't normally <laughs> get to see. <laughs> Do you know what's really funny though about in the seasons? I'm in quite a few groups for, for our end of the season up here. And in the women's group, everyone's like, what are you wearing? Oh, I'm just going out to buy a new dress. And when new dresses arrive, it's a bit tight. Or, you know, not quite sure what shoes to go with. In the yeah, lads group, yeah. it's like, oh, I better dig out my tux. Better iron my shirt. Yeah. Literally, it's like, where's my tux from last year? Does it still fit? Yeah, that'll do. Um, <laughs> so true. So true. It's like literally the, the difference in effort made for the same night is like night and day. We, um, Jen and I have got the issue of both having knee braces on at the moment. So that's thrown a spanner into the works of all our, um, deliberations. Oh no. <laughs> it was, so. um, quite funny. I went shoe shopping today for Saturday and saw about eight men, Avonmouth players walking around the mall looking for white shirts to wear. So nah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. It's either because the last year's shirt got wrecked with Guinness Definitely. pulled down there. Definitely. Or they've just chubbed up a bit over the winter. Chubbed <laughs> <laughs> up in gravy stains. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like last time I put a dinner jacket on, my, my cummerbund was more of a gut bra than it was a, <laughs> a, a, an item of fashionable clothing. It was a, not a pretty sight. Hilarious. We're looking forward to it. Ladies, great to chat. Obviously, sorry to hear about the loss, but equally, like it's been absolutely amazing hearing about what it's done for your team, what the experience was like. And crikey, to get all those spectators to come and enjoy the day, that's really something for your club to be proud of, isn't it? Absolutely. Unforgettable. Such a memorable day, yeah. Unforgettable, it'll be. Something we talk about for a long time to come, I think. Absolutely. Only to be upstaged by the Grassroots Festival on August 19th. Well, of course, of course, <laughs> of, of course. course. Much better. <laughs> we most of it now while we can. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yes. Have you not paid the bill? <laughs> so I should have my my broadband box should be here in a week. I repeat, have you not paid the bill, or have you just not <laughs> got access? Don't you work for BT? I, got access. I ordered it; it's on its way. Can't you just like? Can't you work for BT? Can't no, you I work it? for Vodafone. Oh, can't you just like rewire it to your house? Yeah, yeah. It's really annoying because I live. I mean, you see where I live. I live in the shadow of the. Crew. Uh, I don't know if I should say that because it gives my location. Location. She lives um, in Crew, but like. The BT ATE. They'll be queuing outside your door, Joe. Now you said yeah, that. If people know what the BT ATE is, yeah, the literally you're going to wake up tomorrow. It's going to be a queue of people queue outside. Of your house. I live right next to a massive, massive mast. Yeah, where the O one two seven O is distributed, I live Do right you? next to it. In fact, I've been on that Do roof. You? Do yeah. what? I'm doing the roof, Shaggy. Doing a PPM. PPM. Oh. You're back into acronym. Working. Uh, preventative maintenance. I was hoping for a shag on the roof story there. And I was. Where's the weirdest place you've ever shagged? Oh, I've got one. Me? Not you, Jodie. I'm on about myself. Go on. On a style. On a style? I've done that. Same. Oh. Quite I was on a trig point once, on top of a hill. Oh, Jesus. It's quite uncomfortable because it was slightly too tall. I was having to probably stretch out my calves. Come on, Jodie, what's yours? I don't think I've done anything anyway weird. I think maybe the sea in, where was I? Dominican Republic, mm. uh, in a forest in Wigan. Nice. <laughs> a forest in Wigan. Uh, is, that, <laughs> is that a euphemism? <laughs> I was, uh, yeah. What a dog. I was lost in the Wigan forest. Fucking sea Dominican. <laughs> oh, in, oh, which airport was it? I think it was the Belgium, the airport in Belgium, I think it was. Really? In Brussels. 
That's a huge airport, that way, isn't it? It's mm, massive. Yeah. It's like easy to get lost in. It was overnight. We thought... It's quite brave, Jodie. We're not going to pay for a hotel. We'll just... A flight was at like 7am. We'll just check into the airport dead late in the night and it was completely empty. Check for CCTV. Nothing there in the middle of the waiting Jody, room. Jodie, I can say with 100% certainty that there was CCTV. You're probably on one of those like <laughs> hidden was. like hidden camera websites. Oh my God. Well, anyway. So going back to what your question, Molly, before we got really cut off by Jodie's unpaid internet bill... Why do people join a particular rugby club? So my answer is that you just get a feel for it. So you walk in and you just get a nice feel. And it's a bit naff and it's a bit hard to explain. But it's generally that. like I, Because I've bought into clubs and the opposite's been true. And I can't put my finger on it. It's like a vibe that you just get that you just don't feel particularly welcome. And it's not really... You don't look around and sort of see like-minded people a little bit. And that's why I've joined clubs. I've left clubs for the same reason. No, I get that. It's about the feeling, isn't it? What makes it count and what makes you feel like <laughs> just welcome at a club. What about you, Jodie? Is it how fit the girls are? Uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> Is that so I joined my uh, first rugby team because I think the people, the genuine people, I had to travel. There were so many more local clubs. I was in Sheffield. I never went to Sheffield Rugby Club. I went out into Rotherham because that's who I made friends with. And I'd travel an hour a day to go and I didn't have a car at that point. I was on the train traveling to them, walking from the train station to the club. I just loved the team so much. The people of the team. But when I came to Crewe and Nantwich, it was just locality, a Google search, rugby clubs in my area. Never heard of the Vagrants before. Never heard of Crewe and Nantwich Rugby Club. And I just joined and it's the people that make me stay and you when we say you're black and white through and through i genuinely am if there was a rugby club that opened up next door to me closer than the crew in nantwich i wouldn't join it just because i feel like i belong there that they're my people that's who i am i'm very loyal what made you leave one then because that's a massive thing what made me leave yeah if you were to like Okay, so obviously you'd have to do partly because you relocated or knowing, knowing you shagged the coach and 15 of the players and finally got found out. But like, mm. is that true? Or was actually joking? Jesus Christ. It is, yeah. <laughs> so Jodie, let's not say names, my girlfriend at the time basically forced me to oh, stop doing that team. So I was like, okay. Yes, that was the reason. Uh, Molly, have you ever left mm. a team voluntarily? Yeah. And like, why did you leave? Just, you know, when, like, I know I'm bitch and moan about, like, how stressed I am and, you know, like, sometimes captaincy tips you over the edge some weeks. But I love it and I would do anything for my team. And like Jodie said, it's the people. But when I was at Northwich, there was just this vibe and I can't put my finger on it and I never really felt like I belonged there. And it wasn't that I wasn't, you know, captain or you know, a massive player to them. But, like, we used to finish the game and there would be so much bitchiness and people sitting in groups and there being, like, friction between the coaches and a lot of the players and things. And, you know, I know people fall out in teams, but I genuinely believe that I could go sit down next to anyone on my team and we would be able to chat. And I think most people, probably not all the new people yet, We've got this culture that not many teams have and there was a lot of disrespecting, there was a lot of friction between the men and women's team, 
it just didn't make me feel comfortable. Like I didn't wake up in the morning and be like, yeah, I get to go to rugby with my mates. It was, oh, I've got to go to rugby and I like playing rugby, but I feel uncomfortable after. Um, yeah. And it, like you say, it's just you don't feel like you're f- fit. And yeah, I think yeah. in a rugby team, anyone fits because we're a bunch of fucking misfits. <laughs> like, anyone fits. That's not true, though, is it? That's the thing. That, that it kind of is, but it's also not because I can guarantee it, there'll be people in our squad that don't feel like they fit for whatever reason. There's definitely people that have come in and gone out again that didn't fit. It's something that's like you can't, like you say, you can't put a finger on it. It's kind of, it's cultural. It's almost like a genetic. I don't know. It's like a combination <laughs> of a sense of humor and a, and a worldview and an outlook. And I don't know, like a way of seeing the world in a sense, isn't it? You know, yeah. like, can you imagine? So, like people like Sherry, for example, are such a huge part of our squad. Getting up to tiddlywinks or crochet. We're so, we're so grateful that we managed to share Sherry with the world. Imagine if Sherry was the sail team. Yeah, exactly. If she wanted Jesus to, Christ. if she wanted to sail, like a, she'd feel uncomfortable, and b, they wouldn't know what to make of her at all, and it wouldn't work, would it? But in our squad, for whatever reason, it seems to work. You know. Yeah. Hmm. And there's vice versa, as people have left Korean Antwich go to sail and feel more comfortable. Oh, definitely. There. I mean, there's almost certainly the case. Yeah. They definitely wanted to go to an environment that's a little bit more, I don't know, professional, say, or maybe a little bit less based around. Like, so one thing that, that I would say about our squad is that we do, it's not so much that we demand it, but we do, like, not so much live in each other's pockets, but we very much are a community and a family, aren't we? And whilst I don't necessarily socialise or get on with everybody in the squad, in the main, if I ever go out anywhere or, or do anything, I, I, I involve the rugby lot. Whereas I think some squads aren't like that, are they? they, they they'll have like an organised social and they'll do like a shit shirt night or something. But in the main, they kind of keep themselves themselves to come in, they, they have their protein shakes beforehand and they do some press-ups and go out and play. And, you know, they don't have that sort of same sense of being part of a wider community in, in the way that our squad does. And like other teams are like us and other teams are not, you know. So like we went down to Exeter, it's very clear when we went down there that their squad was similar to ours, you know. Yeah. I think it really depends what you're looking for. Mm. Like if you just want a bit of fitness, a bit local, you're not really thingy, then you just stay with what's closest. I think there's some teams where you haven't got much choice, like the Isle of Man team. <laughs> you yeah. haven't got a varied <laughs> choice of where you can go (laughs) it's that or nothing deal with it if you want to improve your rugby get professional build your way up then obviously you're going to start jumping around teams looking for that growth and that gateway into prem but if you're just looking for friendship and a laugh with your mates then your local grassroots team which is closest to you usually fits that for you i've got an idea go on i think we need the equivalent of the Harry Potter sorting hat for rugby teams. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so love I it. I think we should get an equivalent hat. For example, right, I would say, and this is not being horrible. Like a golden scrum cap. Yeah, yeah. a golden scrum cap, yeah. And basically you put it on and the scrum cap goes, hmm, you're a bit cocky. Hmm, you're a bit pretentious. You can go to Crew and Nantwich, for example. (laughs) (laughs) Cough, cough, cough. But do you know what I mean? Like, they could put it on and be like, oh, you're a newbie. You wanted to find your feet. 
you like the colour yellow, Dibs free! And it would be yeah. great! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it would be amazing! Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I love it. You don't like changing in warm changing rooms. You haven't <laughs> shaved your legs since 1974. Lee! <laughs> 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 oh my god, this needs to be, we need to make like a video of it or something. We do. Like, oh, that would be so funny. Yeah. We need to get a scrum cap, paint it gold, get some like synopsis of teams around the leagues, and then basically ask somebody <laughs> to come on and we can do a little video. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> That'd be so cool. I love that. It'd be interesting to know, wouldn't it, for like each team that you that we've sort of been to over the years, like what their sort of unique DNA is. Because like some like proper jokers, aren't they? So what's been cool about dealing with like Avermouth looking ahead to the thing in the summer they just seem like they're jokers a little bit and they're they don't take life too seriously particularly and the, the same is definitely true of extra saracens but then launson by contrast whilst they're great oh. lovely people and like you know really nice to meet them and stuff they're also quite serious and quite kind of take the rugby quite seriously they're culturally quite different aren't they it's really interesting what i find funny about our teams we have this sort of reputation for being a bit a bit tough and like a bit gnarly on the pitch but i don't when i watch it I don't really see that. I just see like a team that plays quite physically, but not never seems to really cross the line. I mean, obviously it has happened, but it's quite funny where that reputation come from. Yeah. I would love to be on fly on the wall in people's WhatsApp groups and they talk about us, what they actually think about us. <laughs> I don't think like it. Very interesting. Funny you should say that, Jodie, because no, I've heard like. our game v Manchester appeared in a, uh, a beer WhatsApp chat. Oh, yeah? I think- yeah, what? Yeah, Cronenberg WhatsApp chat. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? Our game be Manchester appeared in their chat to watch. As in they, the, the live yeah. video? Yeah, so someone, someone put the video got, link. We've got a rat. We've got a rat in the team that's shared no. the video. Yeah. Who was that? I don't know. Oh, who's, who's your source? Splatter rat. Remember that game? Yeah. Splatter rat. <laughs> so somebody from our squad posted the VO link to the Manchester game into sales WhatsApp group. Well, it's either that or Manchester have done it. It's like why would Manchester do it? Out. Well, I don't know. Well, Manchester geographically are quite close to sales, so they probably know a lot of people within the team. I don't know, but we need to do some CSI and find out because I'm fuming. If it's someone in the team, they're out. They're going. See you later. Is it not one of the recent levers that was maybe? still in the team but we hadn't spotted it i don't know matt this is what i mean we need to i don't think it would be any of our girls we need to find out no no no. we're really good at calling people off honestly the second they have a hint of going anywhere called straight away you know what that was one of my favorite things when a couple of players left a couple of seasons ago and they left this like massive fanfare and we're putting like these heartfelt but also like really like direct messages in the in the facebook group was literally just deleting them. They're like, oh, we're going to go. And we, we know we love our team, but, but, but literally, they, they just posted a message. I saw it within seconds and deleted and blocked them. And then I got oh, these messages Matt. saying, oh, so one of them said, you've cut off my eyes and ears to the team. I was like, no, you just want to see what the, re- the response is and see what, how many likes you get. You don't give a shit. <laughs> I was oh, like, literally God. gone. And you're dead to me. <laughs> um, back to the, the scrum hat thing. I was just thinking, you know, that scene in Harry Potter where. Ha- Sorry, I'm living on this now. Where Harry's stood under the hat and he's going, 
not Slytherin, not Slytherin. Mm. And I went, that's what I would be saying. Oh, just amazing. I just think it's such a good idea. Here's a question, right? So of all the teams we play, if somebody said, right, we're going to force you, you have to play for that team. New law, all the players are dispersed and we'll pay your expenses and you've got to go play for that team. What was the one team that you'd like to play for least and also the one you'd like to you'd be quite happy to play for? Birkenhead, Isle of Man. You wouldn't want to play for Birkenhead? No. Why not? They just seem, when we play them, they're not very nice at all. No. I wouldn't want to be associated with people who, no, they're horrible. They step on you in rocks, they punch you, kick you, they're like discreetly so the ref doesn't see. Wouldn't play with them. Isle of Man, all day long. They're Absolutely lovely girls. To be fair, I love the Isle of Man. Yeah. They're top people. Not the greatest pitchers. Vagabonds are amazing. Like Jodie's Bob on there. They are a top team, but I don't want to jump on the bandwagon. Least favourite team to play for? I think I'm going to go for Lee. I can't bear their changing rooms. I couldn't get changed in there every week. Like I would feel like I was going to catch something. I think (laughs) it's a no. I'd have to come changed, ready, and then have a wet wipe wash in in the car park and leave. It has been about three or four years since we played them. They might have had some funding and improved. Can we find out? Let's go on a road trip. Do we know trip. anyone who has plays them anymore? On a yeah, road trip. Yeah. Tell me you go on a road trip and tell me about it. I'm quite happy not to go. <laughs> Why is that, Matt? She played at Lee recently. Get in touch. Let us know if their facilities have improved at all. Yeah. They're quite a nice little community club, but yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit rough. I think I'd play for Sunderland. Oh, yeah. Why? We had an absolute yeah. hoot of a night out. And what made me remember them was we went into the clubhouse after we did pints and they had their own team song and they were singing it. And I felt like I knew it. I was like, this is sick. It was nice. really good. And it wasn't like a cover. It was like a song. Do you remember, Jode? They wrote their own song. Jody? Speaking of which. Barely. Do you? Speaking of which. Barely. So my colleague today sent me, I'll send it to you, sent me this link to a, you know, this chat GP. Oh, mate, I'm all over it. I love it. Apparently somebody's written a song using it and then basically auto-tuned it to sound like a Drake song, I think. And it's unreal. It's freaky. Properly freakishly good for somebody that a song's been written by a computer. Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we could get ChatGP to write a Korean answer. Or maybe do one for the Nomads. Yes. Let's do that. I did a few years back. I wrote a song for us. Did you? to. The tune of things oh, on which a million green bottles. No, baby shark. It was a common song. It was something like oh, I can't remember. I'll think about it. Yeah. No, it was about five years ago now. I love you rugby, and if it's quite all right, I need you rugby. It was like that. What's that Cute. song? Yeah, What's I need you baby. Uh, I think it was. Yeah. yeah, nice. Got a nice little voice on you there, Jodie. <laughs> Auto tune. So welcome to Workington Zebra Finches. Uh, you guys have been on our radar as a podcast now for a little bit of time, which I'll go into in a little bit more detail in a second. But I've welcomed you onto the podcast today, really on the back of your fantastic win at Twickenham recently. So welcome to the show, guys. Hello. Thank you. Good to be here. No worries. So we've got Charlotte. Who, uh, Charlotte, are you the captain? I am, yeah. Captain Charlotte. And <laughs> so we've got Chris. Are you the long-suffering coach? Uh, well, you can't describe me as long-suffering because this is my first season with the team. 
Ah, so, so you're coming uh, for the glory and you're going to quit and join on the team in September with that Silver. Was a, that was a joke that I, I said, you know, <laughs> if, if, uh, I said, I said it actually to uh, the, the O2 people at the, at the game. I said, you know, if, if I win, I'll just do one and I'm done. But yeah, you know, the, exactly. the, team, the, team's been, the team's been awesome and we, we are one big sort of extended family. So why, why would you walk away from it when we've achieved so much in such a short space of time? Absolutely. So full disclosure, we know you from playing against Workington as crew and Nantwich ladies, all going back a few years now. And one of the reasons why I was so keen to get you on is when we first joined a league, that would have been about eight years ago now, Workington, you were very much at the start of your rugby journey. And it's fair to say you were struggling a little bit um, whilst you could get a team out. And it was great to see you make the effort to come all the way down to South Cheshire to play us. And we had a fantastic day out in Workington in suitable West Cumbrian weather. But it's fair to say your results were a little bit mixed at that time. So to see you come on the journey you've been on has been absolutely outstanding. So Charlotte, I think I'll start with you. Tell me a little bit about the journey you've been on. Yeah, it's been a, a mega journey, especially for me. So I've been there right from the start uh, when there was five people. Um, I wasn't the fir- one of the first five, but there was five uh, ladies that started the team. You know, they used to train. Not not that you can do a lot with five, but they used to go down week in, week out, trying to get more people to join. And it was actually one of the girls who lived next door to me and said, uh, do you want to come down and give it a go? And I was like, well, I used to play to school, so, you know, what, what can I lose? Go, go down and... And I've been there ever since. So we've celebrated our 10-year anniversary this year, which was, you know, it just shows how far we've actually came um, from starting with five to a squad of 40-plus people. We've had mixes of trying to struggle for, like, struggle for people to play games. We've had high turnover of new people. We've lost people due to travel, moving areas. And, yeah, it's just been a, a roller coaster, really. And we've got a really good set up now and um, we've got a girls team that's just started so we can start to feed into the women's team as well hopefully fantastic well congratulations on the anniversary that's good going i think so many teams go on these roller coasters and, and some have periods where they they stop altogether and then regroup and have another go some sort of dribble along and some get very lucky with an influx of players so where do you think the secret to your success has come from i think it's just that that we're like chris said before we're a tight-knit team um we're an extended family um everyone goes out of the way to help everybody um you know we've got new players that come and stay with us and they always say it's the best thing that they've ever done and I think we're just we're all, we're all so well together. The one thing that really struck me when we played against you guys is both home and away, the result was pretty one-sided in our favour. And what we often see when that happened, what we often saw when that happened back in the day was teams would get into their own heads, they'd get fed up, they'd you know, lose interest. But you lot just seem to enjoy playing just purely for the love of playing. How did you manage to, you know, during those early years when things were difficult, how did you manage to keep everybody focused and, and have that team spirit that was even recognisable back then? I think it was just the fun that we used to have. So we started off with a slogan saying, win or lose on the booze. Um, <laughs> and, that, and, and that stuck all the way through, even before the final. You know, I said to the, to the girls, I was like, you know, win or lose on the booze. We've come this far. Just go out and enjoy yourself. And I think that's the the main thing that why everyone still plays is because it's the enjoyment that they get on the pitch, the enjoyment they get after the after the games. We do quite a few socials throughout the year, so yeah, I think it's just making sure it's fun and people enjoy it. And you know, why why wouldn't you want to enjoy rugby running around a field with fourteen other people and 
and getting muddy and <laughs> tackling people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And Chris, you know, obviously you stepped in well after all the hard work is done to take the team on a, on a cut run. Tell me a bit about your journey. Is this your first foray into women's rugby? Or have you got a bit of experience prior to Workington? Uh, no, is the very short answer. I've played rugby on and off while I've, I've moved around the country and I've kind of settled in Cumbria and I played for the men's team for a fair few years and um, there, there comes a point when everyone has to uh, hang the boots up and it was really as I finished I said that I was I was kind of looking to maybe do some work with the backs and some of the kicking work that the the team said they might need and then things changed parted ways with the coach and it was before the first friendly of the season I got a call to say can you you know you said you'd do this would you come and help out on the day and really it's it's gone from there and it's sort of sky- skyrocketed in terms of my involvement and and what we've done with the team really and how has your experience been of coaching a women's team it's been brilliant kind of often I think as coaches when we're talking to other people and there's Two other guys, Simon and, and Lee, that have, that have helped out really consistently through the year. And I think it is the openness and the receptiveness of the team to new ideas and, and changes to either the way they're being coached or the way we want them to play. And the way we've tried to, to evolve as a team this year has really come together through the cup run and through the end of the season. And it's probably took about half the season for for me to settle in and for the team to settle in with me to work out what was the best way forward. I think it's it's slightly different and we probably talk about things a bit more and and go into how it will affect the game more than maybe you would with with a men's team. But I think it's the openness that's the, the real thing that struck me. Absolutely, that completely echoes my experience as well. You know, the, yeah, there are challenges, and sometimes, frankly, just want to get on with the drill and stop asking questions. But uh, the receptiveness to to knowledge and the willingness to get better is something that you know sticks out in my mind as uh, what it's like coaching women's rugby. So, tell me about the cut run then. So, obviously, you know, you're up in North Cumbria, you know, in West Cumbria, which is about as far as away as you can get from Twickenham. <laughs> so, I guess having any kind of affinity with the home of rugby must be hard enough in itself. But, and then to conceptualise what it would be like on match day in a venue like that must have been incredibly difficult to sort of, you know, to, to think through and to, to get right. I mean, how did you approach it? Yeah, so I was fortunate enough to, it was two years ago, me and there was another girl called Sophie, we were selected to actually play at Twickenham as part of a North versus South grassroots rugby. So we had one training session uh, in Preston with loads of different teams from the North. To me, some of them definitely weren't in the North, but, <laughs> you know, for us, we're, we're the North. But it was really nice to get to see other people. And we had Maggie Alfonsi coach us. So she was the, the North coach, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, so even there, we had like a lot of PR stuff to do. Um, we were getting videoed. And we literally had that one training session and then we all headed down to Twickenham maybe four weeks later and we played North versus South. So this is a team that they've built up from different grassroots clubs and they put us out on the pitch. So I was lucky to go to Twickenham and play and experience that, which I never ever thought that I would ever get to do. And so when we found out that the final of the Papa John's Cup was going to be um, in Twickenham, I kind of said to Sophie, I was like, we've got to keep the girls grounded because, yeah, it's an experience, but we've just got to go out there and do what we've came to do. So, yeah, it was really exciting when we eventually found out that we would definitely go to Twickenham. 
because there was a bit of confusion around that as well. Uh, we had to basically fight to say that we were going to end up playing at Twickenham because they said that they got the, the uh, venue mixed up and we were supposed to be playing at Worcester. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, which is which, <laughs> <laughs> which is another good venue, but it's not Twickenham. So Avon Mount director and obviously our director of rugby had spoken and we got all the, the papers in Cumbria behind us and they'd done the same uh, down in Avonmouth and they turned over and said, okay, uh, we can play, but we had to play on the Monday instead of the Sunday. So yeah, so we just decided that we were going to go down Obviously, the England and France game was on on the Saturday. And I kind of said to Chris, that's an opportunity just to get everybody together, feel the atmosphere to go in because we knew that we wouldn't be able to go in before we actually played. So it was like, get the atmosphere down, get all the girls together, uh, enjoy a day and then start the work on the Sunday, have a captain's run through on the Sunday and play on the Monday, which I think worked really well for us because we got the travelling legs out of the way, you know, a seven and a half, eight hour I think it actually turned into nine hours travelling down there because we got stuck and roads were closed and things. What you mean um, is there's all the wee stops from all the boozing on the road. Yeah, back. and that as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a few wee stops on the way. So, yeah, we got the got down there and uh, watched the rugby, which is absolutely fantastic. Record-breaking crowd for England versus France. Watched the Red Roses pick up another back-to-back Six Nations. Uh, and I think everybody was just in that in that mentality from from that game as well. So... It was just a really good weekend from start to finish. Wow. And what was it like, Chris, trying to keep the team focused with all of the excitement going on? It wasn't as hard as I actually thought it might be, (laughs) is the the honest answer. I think They were keeping you grounded rather than the other way around. I think we did, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think the time that the move to the Monday gave us, we were able to section the weekend off. So essentially, kind of Friday, Saturday was get in, see what Twickenham, Twickenham was like for people that hadn't been there before. People could have a drink, have a really good day out with their mates. And they knew that when we came to Sunday, we'd spoken to Teddington Rugby Club. So I'd like to thank them a lot for being able to use their facilities. But we had uh, a really good training session in the morning. Then we all went for Sunday dinner together. Then we had a bit of free time. And then we all got together again for a bit of a presentation and a quiz where we took over one of the pubs in Teddington. <laughs> it structured itself really well. And I've always said with the team, you can pretty much from Tuesday training decide whether they're going to play well or not. And that training session on Sunday, everyone was on it. No one was messing around. The systems we've talked about worked better than we'd ever we'd ever done. The the kind of the movement across the pitch and how we were transitioning was was so good. I sort of I looked at Simon and Lee and I thought, you know, it's on. We can mm. we can really do that. And that went so well. I think it really gave the team the belief that if we stuck to our game and didn't kind of get pulled into another pace or another style of play we could really do something and they'd done it against Litchfield and the match wasn't dissimilar it was you know the the scoreline got away from us we pulled it back we went into extra time and then we won and I I think that that belief is the thing that that really got them there and and helped us get the silverware. Wow so Charlotte walking onto the pitch at Twickenham tell me what it was like what were you feeling? 
Oh, I had, I had everything going through my head, to be fair. I had, it was just such, such, like what Chris has just said there, it was such a good day from the start of the Sunday. You know, we went for a walk, we were all together, um, everyone was talking about what they were going to do, they knew what the job was going to be, um, everyone was focused. Uh, and just to see everybody's face when they got there, you know, it was just, it was just so nice to see what they'd worked so hard for. And then when we walked into the changing rooms, we were actually in the home changing rooms as well. Wow. which had been set up for the women's team. So they still had all the cards in the slots of where they were sat. So we kind of all just went to the to the number that we were or the, the player that we were. And I think that, again, was just another absolute buzz for the girls. Like they were saying, I can't believe uh, Ellie Kildon was sat here. I can't believe Poppy Khalil was sat here. And I think that just gave them that extra little bit of confidence. Yeah, the game wasn't pretty to start with. Well, we started off really well and then kind of in the mid, we kind of lost it a little bit, but then we pulled it back and it did go to the nail-biting of the end of the extra time <laughs> and in my head I was just thinking you know we can we can absolutely do this and we won on the last try it was the same as what like what Chris has just said when when we played Litchfield it was a full team try that got us through to the final and it done with that took us through to the win as well everybody just played the hearts and souls out they, they showed true Cumbrian grit and determination and and we got the job done that we needed to do and obviously this podcast will be going out with an interview from Avermouth who sadly lost on the day from their perspective. You know, what were they like to play against? Because obviously it's a massive deal for their club, loads of supporters, you know, relatively inexperienced team compared to some as well. So whilst you were there having the best day out, you know, you broke their hearts as well. I mean, that must have been quite bittersweet in a sense. The Avermouth team, they absolutely fetched it to us. It was a really good physical game. It was, we scored, they scored, they scored, we scored. You know, it was it was like that like all the way through. It was a good f- physical, tough game. And they should hold their heads up high because they give, like, they fetched it to us. It was, we uh, commented on their, um, they put a post out saying that it was a really good game against us. But with it, they fetched it to us and we had to really work. Uh, and I think they're the better games that when you play and you win, or, you know, or you lose, they'd done everything that they could. Uh, and it was literally in the extra time that we just got that little bit more determination, I guess, and, and found the score. It's exhausting, isn't it, when you play yeah, a game like that? It was, it was a hot day as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, when a team feels like they've let themselves down or an individual player has a, has a, a shocker or there's an, an injury that turns the course of the game or something like that, that, that's when you don't really necessarily feel like the score line reflects the effort and the hard work that goes into it. But it sounds as like, you know, Chris, interesting your take on this. The game that was delivered was everything that you coached for. The best way to describe it is, you've probably guessed by our different accents, that I did not uh, grow up in Cumbria. So I had a few mates from, from London that came to watch it that probably aren't the biggest rugby fans. And they said it was the best thing they'd watched because it, it had everything. It had massive hits. It had jeopardy. It had a, a roller coaster of scoring. And you could see that no one left anything out. It was all out there. When the final whistle went, I mean, some people on our team had been sick in the middle of the pitch. <laughs> some of their team had been injured. People looked like dead ants across the pitch. And it took a few minutes to to come round. But the the one thing across the weekend was, that really struck me was the sort of the rugby family. Because there was 
loads of teams there and then Teddington helped us out and then we played them. We all arrived early and were held outside and everyone was chatting. As coaches, we had a really good chat with their coaches and we had pictures with them at the end hugging. It did everything that a rugby match could do and it showed uh, women's rugby in terms of what it can deliver and the kind of the spectacle of being at Twickenham. It was amazing. And the, the crowds as well. I think they bought three or four coach loads. And yeah. we had a coach and, and some, some stragglers from around the country. And the noise was absolutely unbelievable on the day. It was, it was such a good event. Wow. And tell me about the moment when that final whistle went, Charlotte. Did you cry? Did you reach oh, for the skies? Did you collapse? I did. I, 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 re- I reached for the skies, yeah. It was uh, it was quite an emotional emotional uh, day for myself. Uh, we'd just lost our, our ex-coach a few weeks prior to that. So I'd, in my own head, I'd said I was, do, like I was playing it for her and one of our ex-players who passed away a few years ago. So that was like that was my tribute to them personally, and it was just it was just an emotional day. I just looked up and I knew that they were both there with me uh, playing. You know, I always say meet us on the pitch, and they definitely met us on the pitch that day and pushed us that little bit further. I don't think it sunk in till I was sat on the bus on the way home, and I just sat there. I just had no <laughs> no words to to describe it really. Mm. <laughs> I just sat with a beer and was just taking it all in. <laughs> And Chris, as a coach, these moments are amazing, but you also feel a little bit detached, don't you? You know, I remember winning the, the same trophy with Crew and Antwitch a few years back and the final whistle went and it was all smiles and tears and photos and all the rest of it. And I must admit, I, you know, it took me a day or two to come down off the, the high and the emotion um, of it. But at the time, it, it felt like it wasn't really my trophy because I wasn't there giving blood <laughs> quite literally for the cause you know how did you feel about it on reflection there was there was some of that feeling but I think as a group of very tight and when I kind of came into the group I wanted it to be player led so for example we don't have a team manager that's split between some of the players to do some of those duties and when we talk about how the team's team's going to involve we do involve as many people as we can. So I didn't really feel, you know, hugely detached. And at the end of it, you know, my contribution had already been done. It's the it's the training, it's kind of the, the guidance, and then the only influence that you can have over the match is how you fire people up and, and how you kind of use your substitutions across the game. And all of that had gone pretty much, bar a couple of niggling injuries, as mm. as planned. So... I think it's it's one of those like when you come off the pitch, if you feel like you've given everything and you've done all of the the different bits, then you feel like you're part of the overall result. And yeah, I mean, it was I think for everyone, it was really emotional. I didn't have a voice for about the last ten days because I'd shouted my head off, <laughs> and and then it all ended, and it was amazing, and I just about held it together. And then my kids were there, so my girls ran down onto the pitch, and I nearly held it together. And then I, I spun round to see Jack, who was who gave me the the biggest hug while bawling her eyes out. And I thought, oh no, I can't, I'm I'm gone here. And so I, I didn't really feel detached. It's just a different job in a in a different yeah. kind of bit of the team. Totally, and it is hectic, isn't it, as a coach? Because you're going through the emotions as a supporter, and you're going through the emotions as a player. 
but you're also a coach trying to keep your head together. And that's something I found. We were lucky to go to a final that we, so lucky that we lost quite heavily actually in the end. And it was good training as a coach to be able to keep a cool coaching head with all the chaos going on around you. You know, how did you feel during the game itself, watching what was going on, particularly, you know, as you're saying about the, the extra time? I mean, you must have been frayed around the edges. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wore one of our players' uh, Apple Watches in the, the run-through on Sunday, and there was a bit in it where she thought that I died halfway through because the, the heart rate went went so mad. So you, you can only imagine what it was like actually on game day. You put yourself under a bit of pressure and you want people to achieve and do their best and use the systems that you've talked through. And as a coach, a lot of it's around picking people up and setting them right. There was a few kind of big chats that I've had with key players and substitutes when they're, when they're going on and also passing messages through the, the people that are bringing water on and everything. So, yeah, I think it's, there's, there's a lot going on, but it also went past in a complete flash. One of the great things now, isn't it? There's all the, the video and photo content that you can relive it afterwards because it's, I mean, you know, you're, you're frazzled, aren't you? Your, your brain's gone. You live in the moment for, for those fleeting minutes afterwards and then the come down's pretty heavy, but actually reflecting and watching back footage or what, looking at photos is fantastic, isn't it? N- now to kind of see different aspects of the game that perhaps you missed. Yeah, it's um, it's one of them. We've got you know photos and videos. One of the um, Elsa's dad had uh, took some video recordings, and they've put like a mini uh, highlights on YouTube, which is really good to see because, yeah, when you play and you play for me anyway, and then you do miss bits that you go actually did did that happen? Did I do that or did I miss that or, and you you do question. It, could you have done more or could you have made it easier especially me as um, being the captain did I do my job the right way so yeah it's been really good to look back on to we're going to have a um, recap uh, next week where we get everyone together because we actually haven't been all together since we come back from Twickenham so that'll be really nice just to just to see everybody again and and just go through it and relive the uh, the excitement. <laughs> so what we really want to know though is what was the bus journey home like come on who was naked who was sick? <laughs> To be fair, I think the the three coaches were the loudest on the bus. I think everybody else had just put that much into the pitch. They'd had a few drinks and then... The reason Chris lost his voice because he was singing Sweet Caroline all the way home, is is that it? Yeah, Chris was doing a lot of singing on the way home, a lot of uh, talking. Well, all three of them were, to be fair. I think they partied for everybody. (laughs) Excellent. I was just exhausted. I I had work the next day as well, so... I was kind of in like enjoy mode, but I'd work mode. <laughs> it was good. We started off hard and then everyone crashed and burned about midnight because we didn't get home till 3.30 in the morning. Wow. So that's, that's <laughs> intense. That's a long day. Yeah. My word. Yeah, it was good though. All worth it. Absolutely. It's so obviously recruiting players in, in West Cumbria and, and particularly Workington because it is really out on the edge, isn't it? You know, I've been yeah. there a couple of times. You know, you got Sellerfield down the road where most people work, and there's you know fields and mountains to the to the right of you, but there's not much else, is there? How do you go about getting people into the team? Uh, we do do a lot of um, social media uh, recruitment, just like show what we what we're about, what the team's about, and word of mouth. The going to the schools and get like the girls. I think that's going to be a, a big push for us uh, going into the new season. Is getting the girls' team more located as well as like the as the, the women's team so that we can push through 
especially under 18s team as well. It's just getting people to be able to coach and if they're still wanting to play as well, um, give that time up to do both. It has had its difficulties throughout the years. There's been some seasons where we've not recruited a lot of people and then there's been some seasons where we've recruited quite a lot of people and they've stuck around with us. And again, it's word of mouth of, oh yeah, do you play rugby? Oh yeah, you should come and give it a go. And well, I've never played it before. Well, it doesn't matter. And we kind of, at the start of the season, get quite a few people that have never played rugby before. And it's balancing that, the group of who's played and who hasn't without scaring them so that they stay around, if that makes sense. So Chris, big job on now, isn't it? To refocus and go again next season. When you're coming down from a high like this, you know, regrouping and coming up with new goals is a bit of a challenge, isn't it? What are your thoughts at the moment? The main one is the benchmark's been set, really, about how well we can play and what they can do as as a group of players when they put their mind to it. And I think it's it's consistency. Lottie said uh, next week we've got a bit of a wash-up session, so we're going to talk about what has happened this year, um, what we'd like to, to change and, you know, on an individual level as well for the players, how they feel the season's gone and what they, they'd like to change and evolve for themselves. So I think, again, it's really important that that's player-led. So we'll, we'll have those chats and we'll agree what we want to do as a group. Obviously, uh, as, as a coach, I've got my sort of two penneth that I'll put into that about what, what we need to work on, and that will hopefully allow us to go forward. One of the things that, that's really important is that winning the, the plate final is the sort of the, the legacy bits. You know, we've, we've really pushed and we've had really good coverage in Cumbria and, and regionally about the win, and we'll hope that that shows people that you know local teams and particularly ones from West Cumbria can represent on a national stage and it's really important for kind of Workington as a town and also women's sport so I hope that when we sort of get back out and do pre-season that that will attract a few new faces because I've said a few times that it's almost bonkers that in that team there are people that it's there umpteenth season will be polite to, to, to those people <laughs> but there's, there's also there's also people that it's their first season of competitive rugby yeah. and, though, and it's though, not always like this guys yeah, no. <laughs> there yeah. are seasons where it very much is not always like this the twickenham yeah. trips and winning games yeah, yeah. Well, it's well, quite the other way around that's the challenge for for coaching finding something that balances for for both ends of the spectrum and and pulls the team together Stupid ref, stupid ref, stupid ref, stupid ref. There's quite a few. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've, we've, it's, it's interesting this season. We've, we've had a few meetings with the Referees Society about some decision making. So yeah. uh, we'll probably maybe avoid some of them. <laughs> I think one that stands out for me is maybe three seasons ago and we were playing at Harrogate uh, away and the referee, she got in the way <laughs> and one of our players had took her out by accident and we got we got a penalty for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> surely that shouldn't be a penalty. You were kind of in the wrong channel. You shouldn't have been stood there. And she went over on her ankle and we got a penalty against us for, for, for that happening, even though it was uh, her fault. But that's one that always stands out. We say the ref got snipered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excellent. 
interesting to see what yeah what the general consensus of what the correct call would have been. I would say probably scrum with possession to the team with the ball. Um, yeah, yeah. But then equally, it does send a message that if you want to penalty that badly, just run over the ref. Yeah. <laughs> Take your chances. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't on purpose. It was she was in the she was in the wrong the wrong place as the ball was coming out. I think it was from like from a rook, and yeah, the, one of the players just caught her and she just went down like a sack of spuds. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thanks for that. No worries. Listen, Workington, Charlotte, Chris, it's been absolutely delight having you on today. You know, I've, I've followed your social media since the, the win, and actually for a couple of years now, and it's been great to see your team develop and turn into a real force to be reckoned with in that western corner of Cumbria. So well done, you know, really delighted to see your progress and obviously the silverware to back it up. So wish you all the very best for the for the next season and hope we can have a chat again at some point in the future when you've when you've lifted another trophy. Oh, that would be great if we, if yeah. we can, yeah. But thanks for having us. That'd be ideal, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Or maybe come on and talk about what it's like to lose at Twickenham, you know, get both yeah. sides of the court. <laughs> <laughs> Let's ho- hope ho- not. Ho- hopefully not. <laughs> yes, hopefully not. Absolutely. <laughs> Jodie, you wanted to talk about hair length on the podcast, which when the minute you put that in the chat, I was like, oh, for Christ's sake, Jodie, we have to go here again. Do you want to fill us in on why you want to talk about hair length? I don't think we've discussed it in length too much. Ha. <laughs> Pun. But yeah, it's more for the player safety, not for the opposition. I don't know anyone who would play against someone with long hair and grab their hair on purpose, but you can't help it. If you're just trying to grab someone, you'll grab the first thing you can and just latch on. And if it happens to be the hair, you will. You'll inevitably pull it. As soon as you notice, you'll let go. But the ownership should be taken by the player with the long hair. I think laws should be introduced where there should be a maximum length of hair. And if it exceeds that length, you need to do something about it. Put it in a scrum cap, tie it up, do something, because that should be the same check like when we check nails, when we check boots. It's not just for our safety, it's for their safety as well. That's the long and short of it. Quite literally. Hmm. Interesting. So I like the way you've looked at it from the perspective of it's the player with the hair's responsibility, not the player without the hair, or rather chasing the player with the hair, not to grab the hair. I kind of know what well, you mean. So if you miss slightly miss a tackle, you're going to grab whatever you can get your hands on. If that happens to be somebody's hair, then never mind sort of thing. But is that such a bad thing? I mean, I've never been grabbed by the hair, to be fair. Have you been grabbed by the hair? Is it a particularly unpleasant experience? <laughs> no, I've never been grabbed by the hair. My hair's too... Sh- I don't think I have anyway. But I had it stood on before when I'm in a rock and you can't move because someone's boots in your hair. But there's been times when Brogan used to play for the opposition team, she now plays for us, where I have grabbed her hair and basically gave a whiplash. And that, seconds later, have released it, unintentionally grabbing it because it was just easiest thing to grab. I can't imagine it's very nice when someone whips your hair out, especially when she's got like really thick, thick hair. So you can't just grab like a tiny bit, it's a whole chunk. Hmm. Interesting. Molly, what's your take? Have you been grabbed by the hair before? Your hair's not uh, long yes. either, is it, I suppose? No, no, I've, you know, got a lesbian Lego cut, but not like Lou used to have anyway. <laughs> the Lego man cut. I only take the fist because when Lou was younger, she used to have this um, mullet effort and we described her as the Lego man. That's why I called her that. <laughs> no, I haven't. I've been, a couple of times I've been stood on in the rook where my hair's kind of fell to the side and then I've not been able to get up because someone's boot's on top of it. But I think what Jodie's trying to say is about dreadlocks. Yeah. So we've obviously got Brogan on our team who plays and she's got dreadlocks. And I remember when she used to play for Birkenhead 
many a time I used to grab her and her dreads were long and I used to get wrapped up in them and get caught in them and I used to apologise and and I imagine it does hurt because even if someone pulls my hair it hurts but girl we played against on Sunday was considerably taller than Brogan because Brogan's obviously quite short and she had really long dreadlocks. Now my argument is and I've said this to Brogan you need to tie them up a little bit more if you're worried about getting pulled. They want to wear their dreads down. That's completely their decision. But if I'm trying to tackle you and I accidentally get caught in your dreadlocks, like, I'm sorry, but I'm trying to tackle you. And if they get in the way, I'm not thinking as I let you run past me, I don't want you to take your dreads, mate. But the girl on Sunday actually started crying and I felt really bad. It wasn't me, but I felt really bad because I don't want to cause anyone any pain. But equally, my question is, do they need to be tied back more? Know. Interesting. I think the problem is, is what what's the refereeing call? If somebody if you get grabbed by the hair, is that like foul play, red card sort of territory, or is it likely to be I have researched it. Ah. Okay. Okay, you. So uh law nine subsection twenty seven. <laughs> a player must not do anything that is against the spirit of good sportsmanship, including, but not limited to, hair pulling or grabbing, minimum sanction of two games slash weeks of play, medium for maximum Six, and then the maximum is 52 weeks. You get banned for 52 weeks for pulling someone's hair? Jesus. I think if that's on purpose maliciously and you cause a lot of pain. You're literally swinging around by their hair. So minimally, what happened at the weekend, you could have got a two-game ban for that. Which Whose fault would that have been? That wouldn't have been the player who actually pulled the hair. That's the person who'd have the hair up. Yeah. All the ones included too, not limited to, are spitting on anyone, and my personal favourite, grabbing, twisting, or squeezing genitals. You can get a maximum ban of 208 weeks. Jesus. It did say as well. Really? Surely in the women's game, that doesn't really happen that much. In the men's game, I've had my nuts squeezed several occasions. No one's ever nipple twisted me on purpose. No, that's what I'm thinking. It'd be quite hard to deliberately do that, wouldn't it? Unless you're a prop. What's propping got to do with it? I've been in a scrum, right, and there's been some dodgy grabbing on in a scrum. Really? Yeah, there's lots of nipple twisting, lots of back squeezing behind the bra. Like, if you are playing against a dirty team, like, in the lower leagues, I've definitely been victim, and Lou will back me up. People love, and Lou's probably one of the fuckers that does it, like they love <laughs> like grab under the skin or pinch you at the side or if when they're pushing up in the scrum they love to nipple twist. Honestly, it happens. Really? Yeah. There was a crazy then- one in Australia a couple of years ago where I can't remember if it was in legal union, I think it was in union, where a player <laughs> player actually fingered another player's bum hole. What? Actually happened. On yeah. purpose. Yeah, it was on court on video as well. It's been like life banned. <laughs> yeah, he did. Was, he went in some kind of tackle and just slipped it under the gusset and gave him a bit of... <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, that was dealt with pretty severely. What law is that under, I wonder? <laughs> it's not in at the side, I guess, is it? It's more... Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Handling in the ruck. The other thing I wanted to ask about, handing off to the face, Matt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this was another content. The, the ref told us at the weekend we're not allowed to hand off the face. 
They just make this shit up as they go along, honestly. It's my trademark. The number of things I've heard this season about referees just making some law up because they don't like it. Like, oh yeah, you're not allowed to hold on to the player when you're, when you're in a ruck. you got to stand like you're having a shit in a field. You're not allowed to touch anything. I mean, come on. You know, it's just people just making this shit up because they just don't like it. I don't know, but... They're... Hand off to the face is like one of the great joys of rugby. They probably just want to be trademarked for something, so they make them up. In my opinion, right, if you're going into a tackle and, you're in a, and your body position is such that you can get handed off to the face, then you deserve to be handed off to the face. <laughs> I concur. Go lower. Yeah. The lower you go, the harder it is. Particularly if your face is pointing downwards. If your face is pointing upwards, you're going to get handed off to the face and you deserve it. I agree. Crazy. Was our car- yellow card for that? the game at the weekend wasn't it yeah Ellen got yellow carded how I didn't get yellow carded for it because I handed everyone off to the face I can't help it it just is in my oh, habit you hand off. are it's you the like person that's been cited in on social media as using dirty tactics oh yeah Ron, yeah that was me yeah I hit one of their players late apparently but she was prancing around under the posts trying to wait to put the try down and she took that long I just thought fuck it I'll hit her you smashed her and it was legal, but no, yes, I think it was me. And I apologise to all... She was our... in possession. Yeah, she was in possession. I just lost my shit. What's the problem? I'm a dirty player. I'm a big fish in a little pond. And if I was playing for a decent team, I wouldn't think I was so good at rugby. Bah, bah, bah. Really? Gave yeah. yourself, love. And I was a bit like, well, actually, I've played a big team, big pond, and I think I did all right, thanks. Yeah, um, I love it though. I live for it. I love people hating me because I'm like, if you hate me, I must have something for you to hate me for. Maybe exactly. If you care enough. Tea time chat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I used to love that. Yeah, the more people get worked up by you, the more they're not watching other players. Yeah, exactly. Many thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to enter our amazing competition. Win a full kit, including shorts and socks with the brilliant Halbro. All you have to do is click on www.linktr.ee forward slash grassroots rugby pod and tell us why you should win. The link is in the show description. There's an inevitable conclusion to this. A brilliant finish. This is Grassroots. Women's rugby from the roots up.